Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I want to start the podcast by saying thank you to everyone that's listening to this right now because the podcast is going really well this year. I'm not sure we'll get it quite, but we are projected to just to get like over a million downloads this year alone, which is pretty good given the fact that we do pretty long podcast episodes. So for this one, it's pretty good. So thank you for everyone that's tuning in everywhere. It's quite awesome. Please keep doing it. Oh, I'm sure like if people check our stats, they will just stop downloading at 999, whatever. I was reading the podcast reviews this week and someone complained that we're not doing weird intros anymore. So let's go again. Welcome back to the podcast, Mark. How's it going? Yeah, not bad. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Here you go. Cringe moment done. Check. <laughs> nah, <laughs> to talk about cringe, let's also talk about the fact that there's actually uh, new podcast jingles coming out, mostly because my name is completely butchered for the past three years on the first one. And a lot of people are joking about the fact that it says gay Alan instead of uh, Gail. It's funny because the voice of a guy actually, when he read it, he didn't actually understand why we would say gay alan and he uh, gay al sorry and so he was like oh this is gay ai and that's the first version of the podcast jingle that we recall it was like gay ai and not which is even more cringy so anyway little story uh, about that <laughs> final little announcement there's a lot of new content on the toy hacker we have a really cool editorial team that's coming together now we are publishing a lot more content so if you haven't been on the site for a while you can just click on the notification bell in the menu, kind of like what you do on Facebook, and you'll see all the latest posts. So that's where you can find the latest content we have. That's about it. Now, let's talk about productivity. Stop with the stupid stories and or cringy moments, etc. You guys have your quota today. We'll do more of that next week if you like it. If you get a lot of downloads on this podcast, more cringe next week. But let's talk about productivity for now. The entire reason we're doing this podcast as a topic is so I get to brag about my new chair. Really, there's, there's no other purpose other than that. So I was wrong. Cringe moments, we get a bit more when Mark talks about his chair. So go ahead, talk about your chair. The chair isn't really the big deal, but point one of productivity is you have to set up the correct work environment. It doesn't matter whether you're working from home in Starbucks, coffee shop, or co-working space, or even in a big office somewhere. You will need to set up your environment so that you can kind of get your work done properly. Otherwise, you just you just can't get anything done. If you're like me, I cannot get any work done in a co-working space or unless I'm really in a quiet room by myself with zero distractions. I choose to work from home for that reason. Also because I get to work in my pajamas. The things you need to care about if you're if you're working from home are you need a, a, a good desk or a table. If you're working at your kitchen table with a, a horrendous dining chair, it's fine for you know a day or two or, or a long weekend if you're traveling, but 365 days a year, you're, you're going to put your back out. And it's just not a good thing overall to, to be in that position. It's going to hurt. Sort yourself a nice desk out. You don't have to go too expensive. Something like the I, I, something from Ikea is fine, as long as you can adjust the height so it's the, the correct height for you. Yeah, you want the backhand ones usually in Ikea because that's the one where you can easily adjust the height. Or you can do a really cheap one. So they have these kind of like wooden legs and then you can buy the, the, the cover on top. Maybe we'll put some legs in the show notes. But it's really cheap. It's like 60 bucks. You can get 60, 70 bucks. You can get a pretty nice desk actually. So it's not really a money thing on this. It's more like you need to set it up and you need the space. Yeah. 
In addition to that, you want a, a good chair, and everyone should get the Herman Miller Cosm chair. It's a bargain at $900, so uh, no. Sure, sure. <laughs> Here's the true story of the chair. I had an Ikea Marcus chair, which is the chair I think most people probably have, because who doesn't love Ikea? And it's fine. It's absolutely fine. You, you, can, get, you can get by with it. But I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm like tall or something, but I seem to be prone to have like lower back pain. And I, I noticed this. I was just getting older. Yeah, maybe that as well. I, I noticed this for a while. So I'm like, damn, I really got to like sort this out. So I decided just to like go all in. And uh, I went to this Herman Miller showroom. Herman Miller is like a, a chair manufacturer who make like super specialist office chairs that are like really well supporting of your back and all ergonomic and stuff. They're fucking expensive. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a lot of money, but. There goes the PG rating. I've been working at home online for the best part of 10 years now. Probably spend eight, nine hours a day. Plus, you know, all the times I'm just using my computer for fun and stuff. So I think at this point it's worth it. You know, I can afford it. So I, I bought it. I would highly, highly recommend you you consider, not, it doesn't have to be this one, just get a good chair. There are plenty of good ones for, for much cheaper as well. That's the last I'm going to talk about my chair today, I promise. I just want to say IKEA has actually updated this Marcus chair, so like the lower back thing is actually better about the new one. I tried your one. I didn't like the uh, the place, what do you call it, the arms where your, your elbows lay on. The new ones kind of seem a bit small. I mean, I'm always like on my mouse and keyboard anyway, so that whatever like i don't yeah the armrests are not the best but it's, I, I don't care that much okay. like i don't use it when, that when we start our chair podcast we'll, we'll go into more detail about this what's the philosophy podcast gets a million downloads exactly. with, with <laughs> desk and chair podcast yeah. guys other things in your work environment though that's super important screen and having your screen at the right height this is really really important if you're working from a laptop all day because it's going to be at the wrong height and you're going to get neck pain and it's not going to be a good situation Fucks your upper back as well. Like you really get a rounded upper back when you do that. And I'm dealing with that now, like fixing that and rebuilding mobility in your upper back is really, uh, it takes a lot of work, even if you work out regularly. Yep. So you, you want a, ideally an external monitor with like a, a height adjustable monitor arm that you can clip to the desk. Those are not too expensive. Uh, monitors are super cheap these days. So I, I'd highly recommend that. If you're still working on your laptop, you get all these kind of like fancy desk stands, uh, the adjustable ones. They're not even that expensive anymore where you can kind of put your laptop up to the correct height. You'll probably need an external keyboard in that situation, but it will be kind of a, at eye level, which is where it's supposed to be. I think just a stand for your laptop makes no sense though. Because like a nice stand, like I have an aluminum one on my, on my desk right now. I, I only have a laptop. I only have a MacBook Pro 13 inch at this point. And a good one costs like 50 bucks, 60 bucks. Like if you want a nice one, like not a shitty plasticky one. And like a monitor costs like $120 for like a 1080p basic one, you know? So I would say don't leave, if you just have a laptop, just, just buy an external monitor, HDMI cable, and plug it in there. The price difference, it's massive. Like getting to like a 24-inch screen from 13 or 15-inch is going to increase your productivity so much for the price difference between a nice stand and just a cheap monitor. Or better yet, buy two monitors or three monitors. I don't know how people can work with one monitor, really. On Mac, it's not the end of the world. Like the, the multiple desktop system on Mac is much smoother than Windows. So it kind of depends. Like I used to have a 27-inch iMac with a single screen, and it was not too bad. 
provide the screen is big enough and provide the screen is high resolution enough. So 1080p might not apply because you can't just put that much on 1080p, but if from 1440p or 4K, it's not too bad. These days I'm actually rocking two 4K screens at 27 inch, so it's pretty big. But it's really cool for like, it's like I have two desktops on each one, so I swipe between both. But both of them basically have a browser full screen and or either a bunch of windows like Slack, Finder, and Dynalist, we keep talking about Dynalist and we'll talk about it again, but uh, it literally takes half of one of my screens full time. And the other one is usually just a browser. In addition to this, I'd also say work somewhere quiet. It's nothing worse than having uh, music or noise or construction in the background or, or planes overtaking your apartment if you're in a certain place in the north of Thailand. <laughs> Next point in here, this is all, by the way, point one, but we'll get into some actual productivity tips in just a second. Other things I want to say about tech is good microphone or headset. There's nothing worse, honestly, nothing worse than having a Skype call with someone who's using the built-in microphone in the laptop and it's like, it sucks and it's echoey and uh, it's horrible. So spend the 50 bucks, 100 bucks on, on a good mic. Get a webcam as well. To be fair, most laptop webcams are, are more than good enough these days but we bought these like logitech compared to phones it's like it's pretty terrible we bought these logitech ones for for our desktops and they, they they're really good quality work really well they're heavily discounted these days as well saw them on amazon prime day actually yeah yeah it's a c920 sorry and you can get them for like 50 60 bucks these days so it's not very expensive and you get like a proper 1080p webcam. It's going to be a big upgrade from whatever laptop you have. Even if you have an expensive Mac, they use 720p webcams, which is a disgrace, even how good phone cameras are these days. The other thing, and this might sound like Captain Obvious here, but buy the fastest internet connection, the best one you can get. It makes a huge difference. Not only that, but buy it for your team as well. So we actually give most of our full-time employees a kind of additional, it's built into their, their salary structure, but we give them an additional amount of money each month to make sure they have like good mic and good internet whenever they need it and you know all that kind of stuff. And it really makes a big difference if people care about that stuff versus having the, the cheapest, cheapest version. It will make a big difference over time. Yeah, I think the router is important as well. I think a lot of people have a good internet and shit routers. If you own it and if they're old, there's been a lot of progress. So now there's like Wi-Fi 6 that's coming out and it will improve your internet connection by more than getting more speed provided you already are over 100 megabits per second. Because what counts actually with internet speed is not really the download speed anymore. It, for us working on web pages, what counts is like how quickly you connect to the DNS. And this is... Basically, the ping between you and your router is very important for that because we always wait this like one second or whatever for the DNS to ping to the, for the, you know, the little wheel to spin in Chrome. And so optimizing that is quite important. So if you want the absolute best these days, is this Wi-Fi 6 is, it's on new laptops this year and there's routers for that. But overall, if you have an old router, just upgrade into a new one will make a bigger difference than improving your download speed. Okay, so that was point one. Let's move on to point number two, create routine. This is your one, isn't it? Access hours when people can get hold of you. I mean, basically, I have I use this app called Clockwise. It's kind of interesting. It's, they call it AI for your calendar, but you know, AI is bullshit these days. Uh, everything's AI, basically. But what it does, it allows you to. So it connects on your calendar. You have appointments with people, and then when people have their calendars public, it actually checks. Like, if you put times through, and we'll talk about that times where you want to walk, then it basically finds dead times in your day and tries to move these appointments to these times. 
So I have these two things. Either I have like specific times through which people, at which people can talk to me. I don't reply unless it's like lunch, early morning or evening. That's usually like beginning, end of work and when I'm gonna about to take a lunch break or when I'm coming back from a lunch break, I just don't reply to Slack. And people know it, I, it works much better. I, I think interruption is the biggest problem for productivity, especially with like notifications popping up, et cetera. For me, I, I mean, you can ask Mark. <laughs> I'm basically set to visit all day, basically. And so, yeah, And but, but if people know it, if you tell people, you know what, I'll give you a about this time, this time, this time, it's great. And to tie back to like the, the productivity for your team, it forces people to figure out the small things that they would ask you about on their own. Uh, when there's something urgent or whatever, well, I mean, unless it's like really, really bad, um, most of the time they, it, it can either wait or uh, people can figure it out if you don't reply to them. And uh, what that does is it reduces the amount of input you need to give to your team and also makes them more independent as well, which I think is a good thing to push on people. It's really important because if you make yourself too available and too willing to help people in every, every situation, then they, they get to rely on you for that help all the time and they stop to kind of figure it out themselves. So you need to have a little bit of gale in you when you're you're kind of being making yourself available. That sounded weird. <laughs> That's, yeah, a bit more cringe. People wanted more. Here you go. <laughs> Let's just jump to the next point because I think that's the main... I mean, no, you wanted to talk about one-on-ones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with the whole routine thing also comes down to your meeting structure with your, your team and the rest of your people in your company because what I like to do actually is to have... We call them goal setting and reviews. Uh, it's basically a one-on-one, 30 minutes every Monday, every direct report that I have, I will have that that meeting with them and we'll discuss a bunch of things, progress, set goals for the week, review last week, etc. But they, they know that they always have that time available. So what this does is it forces people to an extent to hold things until that, that meeting and then also solve them kind of in advance of it so they can kind of present the solution there as well. But it just, they always have that time and they can, can rely on it. If there's something, you know, not something super urgent, but if there's something they, they need uh, that's going to crop up, they know that they have that time as theirs every week at that time. I really try hard never to miss those. The same is true for team meetings. We do ours every two weeks with our whole team. We find every week was kind of too much, but it's kind of like a hard thing. Everybody will always kind of attend that no matter what. It's a bit of a different meeting though. I think we should say what the difference is compared to the one-on-ones because it's a little bit different. One-on-ones are for kind of goal setting, planning, and team meetings are more to al- for alignment is, the, I guess, the main goal so that everybody knows kind of where we're at, what we're doing, what we're kind of working on. And people can sort of jump in, help each other with, with different things if, if they feel that's, that's, that's a possibility. So, yeah, alignment would be the purpose of, of, of a team meeting. Yeah, I like them, actually. Like, I used to not like them, but now I like them. It's like... When you work on your business, you're working on problems all the time. You're working on what's not working, you're working on all of that. And usually when something is kind of like on the rails, you will find a way to outsource it and people in your team will do that stuff. So when you're a business owner, you just have your eyes focused on the problems. Sometimes it can be a little bit depressing. So when these people literally like, they're like, oh, we managed to build 20 links this week or we managed to like hire these people or whatever, like some kind of wins. Makes me feel when I come out that we achieved a lot more than I felt like we achieved before we had that. So I guess that's the alignment. I want to say as well that these meetings are prepared in advance more than the GSNR, I would say. It's just like 
people have to, we use the analyst in this case, actually, where people have to put the items they're going to talk about. It's also an occasion for us to share three things. First is business stats. So we share like traffic stats, lead stats, sales stats, revenue stats, whatever. Share some success and failures. And often we have mini brainstorms when we're like not sure what to do on something. And like people that are not necessarily directly involved in the project are able to input on that. And I think that also creates a lot of buy-in from the people in the company. Like they get a better global vision of what's happening. And just on that as well, I mean, you, you talked about us sharing financial numbers, revenue numbers. A lot of people are a bit sort of apprehensive or hesitant to do that for various reasons. Our experience has always been that it's better to kind of share more and it's okay to be completely honest about how well or how badly the, the company's doing in certain things. So I feel like people are kind of more bought in and engaged when they really have the whole picture as opposed to just the vanity metrics like traffic, for example. They get an idea anyway. If they work in support, they see how much sales you make. If they do your reporting for your affair marketing, they get an idea of how much money you make. If they do SEO, they get an idea of how much traffic you make, how much you're ready to pay them, etc. Like people already have an idea of how much you're making. I've seen people identify, you know, problems with refunds or refund rates or problems with missing affiliate money, affiliate income because they've have access to all this information and stuff. And it's it's only been beneficial to us to to have this stuff shared. Yeah, actually we've made since we started doing that, I would say we've made quite a lot of progress on like not like stupid ways through which we were losing money. Like people identified them and we were able to fix them. Um one final thing on routine is just a little life hack that I kind of did this in my personal life last week. So it's kind of a new thing. But I spent like four hours cooking on Sunday and I bought all these Tupperware boxes and I just I basically did meal prep for the week. I can't sort of explain how much of a seismic shift that is not the not the time of like cooking and meal prep because I, I kind of enjoy that stuff like when i was doing it every day but more the just thought space like i don't even have to think or plan about what i'm going to eat at all today i'm just going into the fridge and pull out a box and that's my food you know the same approach can kind of be applied in, in in your business if you're if you don't have to think about all these things kind of happening they're just like always scheduled. Your meetings are always at that same time. You always have one-on-ones on Monday, whatever it is. It just takes a lot of stress out of you having to make sure shit gets done, basically. I think that's just, I mean, the next point we want to talk about is plan your work in advance anyway. But I think that's a shift that most people make. So when people start a business, it's all over the place. It's a mess. You think you're organized, but you're not. And you get overwhelmed. That's usually how it goes. And as time passes, you essentially learn how to create blocks of similar tasks together and plan them before. And planning is everything because most of the time on the task will be spent thinking if you didn't plan it. You'll literally be like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And you'll be Googling everything. And then at some point, you're going to open a new tab and a website is going to take a bit too long to load. And then you're going to click on the new tab and you're going to go on YouTube and you're going to watch some stupid BuzzFeed video. I know because I've done it a million times. And so what planning allows you to do is to avoid that because you know where you're going, you get less interactions, meaning less distraction, meaning more stuff, more output. I think the next point falls perfectly into that, which is plan your work in advance. So there's several times when you want to plan stuff. So the first one is uh, Sunday nights. I know that it, you should take your weekends off, but usually Sunday nights, people don't do a lot anyway. It's just like, it, honestly, it takes five minutes if you just think about what you're going to do that night on a Sunday night rather than on a Monday morning. It's so much better for the for the whole week. Just write down a piece of paper or use Microsoft OneNote, oh, like I do, just to kind of ide- like what is a rough 
plan for the week that you want to accomplish? What are the main main things? Just the process of thinking about it seems to just make everything fall into place much, much easier than uh, like there's nothing worse than getting up on a Monday morning and f- having to first figure out what to do before you figure out how to do it. That's really where, what planning solves, bridging that gap. It's just also like a piece of mind thing as well. I think it just like relieves tension, which is something that you need to seek out when you're doing a lot of things. It's like you build up tension even if you don't realize. And this kind of planning basically relieves tension. So that's why more and more people are talking about this like so positively because planning is not exactly the sexiest thing in the world, but the outcome is great. It's kind of like people meditating or doing all these things. They just can't stop talking about it. (laughs) It's kind of the same, you know? I would also say to this, um, you know, we, we start, you know, plan Sunday night for the week, but also at the end of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, uh, you know, again, take five minutes, two minutes, even it probably usually doesn't even take that long and just figure out what your main goal you want to achieve tomorrow is what's, what's the main thing and what's anything urgent you also need to, to do as well. So that's kind of how I approach things. Yeah. The next thing is like, okay, we talked about what to do now. You need to make time for it. And the way to do that is to, Essentially, just block out time and be like, I will do nothing else but this one thing that I was supposed to do. I'm really, really good at this, at ignoring everyone and just doing one thing. It's an interesting one because a lot of people, when they're not used to that environment of you just ignoring them and you know, working for four hours on a video or whatever, they kind of feel a bit, I don't know, triggered or, or angry or you're like, what's this guy doing kind of thing. But actually, it's really, really important to have this like blocked out time for focused work or deep work, as some people call it. And just you know, turn off all your notifications, your social media stuff, your phone, all that kind of stuff. So there are some apps that you can like lock out, you lock yourself out of Facebook and YouTube. And do you use anything like that? Or Yes, I use an app called Stay Focused. It's a for, I don't know if it exists on iPhone, but on Android, it's on Android. It's really good. You can set times at which you want to block some apps and unblock them. So like, for example, I can open like Twitter for lunch, but I cannot open it during my work time. It will literally just be a blue screen, be like, go back to work. And so for a lot of apps, it does that. And it, it's, again, you know, that's kind of like this new type thing that I was talking about. That's what it does as well. Because like sometimes, let's say, like if I want to log in on Cloudflare, for example, I'm doing something technical, uh, I get a text message. But guess what? I open my phone and there's like 20 notifications, right? Oh, this guy just liked your post on Instagram or like 200 people viewed your story, whatever it is. And you want to click on them as you're going for like Cloudflare thing. And it's this trap that you're trying to avoid. So this app... Like I could turn it off, etc. You could, there's a lot of like, but it takes so much more time that then you just put yourself back on track. So having this kind of apps is quite powerful. I don't really have anything on my computer. On my computer, what I have is I have a time tracker. So I have a, something called Cubeserve, I think. And essentially it just uh, tracks distracting neutral or productive time during the day. And it gives me a report every hour that I'm productive or distracted. And basically it says, oh, you spent one hour distracted time today. You spent two hours distracted time today. You spent three hours and it gives you a percentage at the end of the day. It does a really good job. If it misqualifies stuff, you can actually, you know, requalify in there. And also it's desktop based. So you're not really sending that information over the internet, which allows you to, I mean, privacy stuff, et cetera. So it's, it's quite good. I think, uh, so I got it for free. I think it costs like 30 bucks. It's a nice benchmark. Like you can tell whether you did a good job during your day and whether you actually blocked out the amount of time you wanted. Usually you never do. If, as hard as you try, you just get better, but you never get perfect. And it's important not to beat yourself up about that. Seek progress, not perfection with this, this kind of stuff. Other thing I want to say about blocking out time though is figure out when the best time for you to 
block out that time for, for deep work really is. For me right now, it is in the mornings like by far. And I'm, I'm totally changed my perspective. I'm an absolute morning person now. I love getting up early. I love going to bed early. Uh, that was definitely not the case like four or five years ago. Uh, that was kind of the complete opposite. In fact, I used to do all my best work. For me, I was getting up early, but that was after literally going out all night, like literally going 24 hours around the clock. I used to do my best work really between midnight and 4 a.m. Because I don't know, just like, actually one good thing about the, the middle of the night is there really isn't much in the way of distraction. So you can, you can get a lot done yourself. But that was kind of my deep work time in, in the past, but I've, I've changed it now. So, you know, don't try and force it. If you're not a morning person at the moment, don't force yourself to be. It's, it's probably not going to work out. Just do what works for you. Yeah, I also switch quite a bit. I wake up, I mean, I really go through phases, but like I wake up between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. basically every day. So this brings us on to our next point, which actually came up in a recent interview I did on this podcast with Tan from Asian Efficiency. So if you want to hear that one, he has plenty of efficiency tips on, on that episode. Go back and listen to that, authorityhacker.com slash podcast. You can find it in the feed there. But his, his tip, his, I asked him, what's your biggest productivity tip? And he said, pick the biggest, most annoying thing you have to do and do that first. So the first thing you, you conquer in the, in the day. Don't bother with email, social media, you know, minor tasks, checking your PayPal or whatever else, analytics in the morning. Just do the biggest, most annoying task that you have to do. The task which you're least looking forward to, do that first. And I implemented this approach. I'd say I probably achieve it 70% of the time. Not every day, by, by all means. But it's been an absolute game changer. And this coupled with blocking out time in the morning and, and our previous point for, for sort of focused work has just really helped massively. It really helped me getting uh, some of the core stuff. We had to produce some of the videos for uh, the Shotgun Skystripper blueprint we launched back in May. Yeah, I just I can't sing enough praises about this approach. Some days it doesn't happen, as I said. Don't beat yourself up about it, but try this approach. And I, I'm not really sure why it works so well. I think it's something to do with when you do a bunch of like meaningless little tasks that you, you have to do anyway. First, you feel like you've already done something, and so there's less kind of maybe motivation or drive to do this next big task. And you, you think, oh, well, I've already put it off for an hour this morning, I can put it off till after lunch and then you end up just not doing it that day. So maybe it's something to do with that. I think your brain goes soft as you go through the day as well. Like it's like, it basically you're the most rested when you wake up and then as time passes, it just goes softer and softer. For me, it's literally that. It's like, it's kind of like a, a slow slope to like the shittiest and shittiest tasks, you know? And usually that's why I don't do the very important, the very, like the least important stuff because I'm like, I always put it off for like the end of the day. I end up never doing it, you know? But still, I mean, I'm happy with the progress we're making regardless. It's like, it's, it's a decision. It means some stuff doesn't get down. That's fine. Though. Like, even if you never do the least important things, at least you're, you're always doing the most important things. And so you might suffer in some ways, but if something's really becomes a problem because you're not doing it, then it suddenly becomes more important. And then you are going to do it as the, 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 one, the main task of the day. So. so for me, usually my day is like, from whenever I start working, which is usually between... 7.30 and 8.30, depending on when I wake up. It's like really the most difficult stuff till like 12. Like it's a really long period 
where I get a lot of stuff done. Where I get pretty much 90% of the stuff done for the day. Then it's like lunch, calls, gym one in two days. And then after that, it's all the bullshit tasks. Replying to people I absolutely have to reply to. That kind of stuff because, and then until I just can't. And then I just, you know, watch some stupid YouTube videos. Can you imagine if 2012 Gail could hear yourself talk to him right now to, to say this, oh, get off at 7.30 and... <laughs> I think he would hate this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, you know what? It's like, that's what progress looks like, you know? <laughs> okay, so what's that point number five of 11? So the sixth one is, if it's not happening, go do something else. This is the absolute luxury you have with working for yourself, not necessarily having a boss sometimes for whatever reason between the usual office hours of nine to five or whatever time you work 7 30 in gill's case sometimes for whatever reason you're just not in the mood that could be for a variety of reasons something as random as the weather i usually find when it's a really dark and dreary miserable day which is like every second day in scotland no i'm kidding yeah. Maybe you just need to relocate everything. Actually, we've had like the, the, the hottest weather ever in July yesterday. So um, definitely the opposite of that right You've now. You've literally told people to relocate in that podcast. So, you know, it's like they might tell you as well. So anyway, sometimes the weather gets me down and I'm not really in the mood to work. I don't know. It's weird. But I'm sure everyone has their own reasons. Maybe you're still hungover from Saturday or whatever. But either way, if it's really not happening and you've given it a stab, don't beat yourself up. Don't just sit there for eight hours like going on YouTube and just getting more and more frustrated at yourself for not getting shit done. Stand up, go for a walk, go and do something else. The benefit of having your own business is that you're your own boss and you can kind of work your own hours. You know ultimately that you're still going to have to come in and put in all the hard work to, to make it happen. And that's probably going to be, realistically, it's probably going to be more than a typical nine to five, at least in the early days as well. I want to say as well, nobody cares how hard you're working. Literally, nobody cares. You will not get rewarded. You will not get paid more. Nobody cares how hard you're working. If you can do all of your work in one hour, then you know you do just as good as the person who spent, does that same amount of work in 40 hours. There's no brownie points here for working long hours. Like I know in some office environments there are like, you know, people stay until their bosses left and look busy and all that kind of shit. I always hated that. It's just a, a horrible, like pointless, pointless thing. And you don't have to do that here. You can work smarter, not harder. One of the consequences of that is if you're just not feeling it, you need to go do something else. Get your mind off it. Do something which you would otherwise do at night. Maybe I don't know, go to the gym, go walk the dog go do something relaxing, just anything which affects your mental state of mind and gets you out of the, the work mode. That's kind of what you're trying to achieve there. Happened to me many times. Like I had a shit day, nothing was happening. And I'm like, fuck it, at lunch, I'm just going to do something else. And then I like, go to bed early as well. Like I, what I was trying to make sure of is that it was as relaxing as possible so that I have the best day possible the next day. And the next day is like so good, it just makes up like three times over. And in these cases... Like, who cares that you took half a day off? It's kind of nice, actually. It's like, you will need that. For me, it happens like every two, three weeks, maybe, like like half a day or a day. And don't feel bad about it. It's it's normal. It's going to happen several times throughout the year, probably like 20 days a year or something, or 15 days a day. My favorite thing when I lived in Budapest was to go to the thermal baths. 
they're like really, really relaxing way to spend a, a few hours. And if you go in the day, uh, it's really during the week, it's really quiet. So, so the next one is actually prepared code versus ongoing interruption. It's kind of something I mentioned a little bit earlier when I talked about meetings as well, which uh, in my case was the support need a lot of input from me. And honestly, email is probably my lowest priority task, meaning it never gets done. Uh, my email box right now is sitting at, I'm trying to add uh, 208 emails now opened in my main inbox. So it gives you an idea of what, so obviously email was not an option. And I'm also set as busy on Slack because I'm focusing on the main tasks. So what I have done is I actually agreed with that staff that needs ongoing input, but it's not necessarily urgent on these specific times to call them like once or twice a week. And then essentially they have to prepare a concise call. They have to prepare notes. And that makes a big difference. When they prepare a communication with you, it's going to be more concise, more precise, easier to deal with. And in 30 minutes, we managed to go through what would probably be like maybe 10 emails a, a week or something. And that saves me a lot of time, actually. So, I, And also it's clearer. We often are able to go deeper on the things they didn't actually understand the first time I said or something like that. So I find it a lot better. So when you have staff and you're working with your staff, I think one thing that I like is to just have these regular calls for sorting out the stuff that usually is sorted out with short, annoying, distracting, regular emails. So that would be one thing that I would recommend. The next point I want to talk about is delegating responsibility, not just tasks. And I think that's something that most SEOs are, are guilty of. People hire VAs and give them tasks. So they tell them to go post your link on forums or like social bookmarking sites. So like they said, tell them to go and email people to get links or something like this, which is what I used to do for a long time. But what it does is it alienates people. So it doesn't give them any kind of sense of responsibility for the task. They just feel like they just have to send these emails. They don't care if you get links or if you don't get links. And that gives us lower quality work. That gives us people that don't like their jobs. And overall, that gives us, the, essentially, the weight of responsibility was still on our shoulders, not theirs. And so what I recommend is that you start literally telling your staff, even if they're low level, be like, you are responsible for getting links to this article, for example. And that makes a massive shift in their mind. It's like, do whatever it takes to get links. That means come up with creative strategies. That means if you have a problem that, like, if you're doing a task and you feel that you see it's not going to work, like if you just give them a test, they will still keep doing it until oh, it doesn't work for like two weeks and you realize, whereas if they are responsible for the links and they're like, that's not working, they will come back to you much earlier and they will be like, oh, that's not working. Can you help me with this? So I, I tried this different thing. I was more like, I tried something different and that worked better, et cetera. So they will come up with better ways of doing things, et cetera. So I think that's a big shift that has happened in our team recently is all our staff has projects for which they are fully responsible of the outcome. And I think that makes people like their job more. And that makes me happier because I'm responsible for less stuff, basically. So that would be, it's kind of like a, a management trick, but it's also productivity in the sense that it's going to free you up quite a lot, actually. Yeah, it's empowering people to kind of make the work their own and figure new stuff out. The more you get into it, the more someone specializes in doing something, the better they sort of become to the point where in many cases, we have a lot of team members who in certain specialities are, are better at, than us at doing that. So why should we continue to tell them exactly how to do their job? Surely we should tell them what the goal is, what kind of outcome we're looking for and let them figure out how to do it in the best way possible. And if you have good people, they will figure out better ways than, than you can do it because you know it's their focus, it's their job to do that. Whereas you as the 
the site owner, you've probably got a lot of things to sort of figure out and uh, it's hard to kind of master any one of them individually. Do you want to take the next point? Yeah, so the next point is uh, it's kind of a counterpoint to a lot of stuff we've been saying, but it's do what works for you. And I have a specific example here, which happened recently, which I think kind of highlights this quite well. We had identified an issue in that our support team for our customer support were having issues getting Gail and myself to respond. That's the one who asked for the calls, basically. That's the one who asked for the 30 minutes call, yeah. They're able to handle a lot of things themselves, of course. However, if there's something that real big problem that needs to be escalated or a decision on something that needs to be made by one of us, then it was getting difficult for them to actually get hold of us. Gail was, so we had a call. Gail said that he would prefer to have a call. How often is it? Once or twice a week, depending on what they need. Like we have one set and if they need a second one, then they just tell me. Okay. And then they'll, they'll just go through all of them and he'll bang out his, his answers kind of then. Um, I said, I don't want to do that. I would prefer to, if you just assign it to me in Asana, not Asana, um, Help Scout is what we use for it. Uh, and I'll, I'll pick them up that way in, in email. Uh, the benefit for me of that is that I can choose when to kind of do that. I don't have to, I, I try to have as few meeting slots as possible. This is one of those tasks which I'll just fit in, you know, in the 10 minutes between calls or before a podcast or something like that. That's why, yeah, in the toilet of the app, you know, that's why I prefer to, to, do it, to do it that way as well. But the point of all this is that those are two very different approaches and you can, there are pros and cons of, of each. And we or indeed anyone else may give you productivity tips or advice and if something just doesn't click with you, think I really I'm not the type of person who likes it. I just that's not going to work for me. First of all, make sure you actually try it to, to verify that is the case. But once you've done that, it's fine to kind of let it go and and take a different approach. So don't sort of treat any of the stuff we're saying here as you know absolute hard and fast rules. It's like this is the only way it's ever going to work. Yeah, we're going to have saved a lot of people a lot of time if we say that first, you know. But anyway, no, it's true. Just, just, yeah, just adapt, adapt all this stuff as well. Like a lot of this stuff, like it, that's why we do this podcast because it's our stuff. Like this is, we give you our version of a lot of things that you might have read, but it's not exactly the same. And then the last point is actually use a proper project management software. I know a lot of people like Trello, but uh, I don't like Trello very much anymore. I find Asana to be far superior. And ever since we really switched to use Asana properly, we've got a lot more stuff done and we're able to do a lot more complicated stuff that involves more people and get people to work together. Like some articles on Atari Hacker right now require four to five people to work together, soon six actually. And Asana has enabled that without a massive clutter of email, a massive chain of emails that you would hate that is impossible to read. And we, I've tried a lot of them, but the reason I liked Asana, uh, first of all, is the newsfeed system. So if you actually, Asana is like a pin tab on my Chrome on the left, so it's like the most important tab. And you have that inbox section, and then you go there, and it's kind of like your Facebook newsfeed where everything that you are involved in just like pops, and you can scroll down, and you can click on any of them and like reply, comment, change some stuff, etc. So it's really easy to like follow that. And what it allows you to do is to cut all notification emails and to just use that inbox system to follow up on stuff and make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to do. And it's just like the place to do work and it's not your email. 
Uh, the second one is test dependency, which I think we need to use more. We're using it a bit, but I will definitely roll that out a lot more really soon, which is really powerful. It allows you to essentially assign a task to someone once another task is done. So to give you an example in an editorial process, there can be like a person that does a queue research, starts the task, puts the task in Asana. Then you have a task to the writer to... Uh, to sorry, the content researchers to like do an outline for the content. Then once that task is done, it assigns a task to write the first draft to the writer. Once the writer submits the content in the task and is ready for review, he ticks his task and then an editor gets a new task to actually edit the content. Once the editor has edited, the uploader gets a new task to upload the content and etc. all the way through the life of a piece of content. It's really powerful because People get notifications just on time. They are not flooded with tasks. They come up as the work's getting done and it allows you to like, you know, automate that whole system without having to do that big management job of like assigning tasks to people, et cetera, which is really annoying when you're using this kind of product management system and that's usually where it all goes to shit. It's not up to date and eventually it all falls apart. So you can automate all of that, which is really powerful. Another thing that I really like, so we have Slack, but I've been really pushing to not use it very much because Asana actually has live chat on every single task. It looks like a discussion that is not live, but it's live. We've even tested it with Mark in, uh, in Chiang Mai when we were talking about this. And the delay to send a message, it updates without you refreshing the page. And the delay to send is basically the same as Slack. So you can actually literally live chat with whoever is in the task or in the subtask or whatever on Asana, but it gives context to the discussion. It, it's about the task that you're talking about. And so it uh, avoids a lot of fluff. And it's also readable, like you can read the chat that you had about the task while you're working on that task when you're playing in Asana in context. It's much easier to find what you were talking about, basically. So I really like that. And finally, the other reason I find it to be the best, by the way, we're not paid by Asana, I'm just going to say. <laughs> but the, the best one is the custom fields. So you can do custom fields for like uh, text, for numbers, for drop downs, for all that. And you know, for us, for our editorial, for example, we use it for the stage through which the content is at. So I'm like literally on a scenario right now, and we have like uh, abandoned, which is like the, the ideas we will never do: brainstorm, update, on-page fix, draft, edit, upload, publish, promote. So like a piece of content can be in any of these stages. It actually just shows in a different part of the screen depending on where they're at. Then they are, we have content types. So we have like the type, like affiliate articles, we have support, we have a best text for why, video post, epic post, podcast, list post, all that stuff. We have a category as well. Uh, that is also a dropdown. So you can see all the categories we have. We have a custom field for the keyword. We have a competitor URL that we are considered to be the best piece on that content. So people, like writers can find it. And also if the competitor updates it, we can go and check it out later. We have update dates, we have additional notes, we have word counts so that the writers can see that directly there. We have Dynalyst URL, which is where we put our brainstorms, we have the Google Docs, and we have the links on the websites. So like we have this really customized workflow where all that information is like at your hand as soon as you open the task, and it's really powerful. So I highly recommend you really you know, work on setting that kind of system. It's going to take you a week or two, but for us, it's been a massive improvement in working together with more than a few people without having crazy emails, basically. I don't know, like, you haven't been as involved as I have on this stuff. I'm sure you've, got, you've gotten you've gotten feedback from the staff and it's good, you know? In the the site, which we sold in January, I set up a sort of V1 of, of this process in Asana. Uh, it was an absolute game changer, you know, then uh, moving away from 
spreadsheets and so many emails and chats everywhere getting mixed up and stuff. It was good. And what you've done is just take it like so much further even even then. So yeah, although I'm not using it day to day, everyone, even one of our, our team members who, who hates Asana, like violently hates Asana, he said uh, that he's actually coming around to it now. So I think I think it must be doing something right. Yeah, it's powerful. Like it's and it's not that much management provided you build the automations around it as well. Like you know the task dependency, etc. It really removes a lot of management. I probably spend like two, three hours a week just like making sure everything's up to date and people are following up on people, that kind of stuff. But it's very, very decent given the amount of stuff that's happening. It's, I'm pretty happy with that. Like we used to use Basecamp, we have used Teambox, we have used Trello, we have used a lot of them, and it would be a lot messier. And I would spend a lot more time on these. It was still not as good as this is. So I uh, highly recommend it. I might, you know, it's like we're going to be picking up YouTube at some point. I'll probably talk about this really soon. But I might make some some like walkthrough video on like how to do this Asana stuff. I know we have an advanced blueprint that we'll probably do at some point next year that will teach a lot of that stuff as well. Okay, so that's basically the podcast, guys. I hope you enjoyed these productivity tips for you and your team. We started with you, uh, started with Mark's chair, really, and then uh, really finished with like team stuff. I think the team stuff, we talked a lot about it with Matt Diggity in the podcast. Basically, Matt was like, yeah, it's, I mean, we agreed that this is basically the end game to that. SEO is not rocket science. If you're going to make a lot of money, it's not about ranking a few pages. It's about ranking a lot of pages, a lot of content, and it's all about building a team and managing it the best way possible. And a lot of the things we talk about address that in a practical way. So I hope you enjoyed that podcast. If you did, don't forget to subscribe. We are on iTunes. We are on Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. Just search for Authority Hacker, and you will find us. That's not very difficult. Uh, we are getting more into social media right now. So if you're not following us on Facebook, Atari Hacker, Twitter, at Atari Hacker, Instagram, also at Atari Hacker, but without the E, so Atari H-A-C-K-R. And on YouTube as well, you should follow us there because there's going to be more content there. Actually, from the next episode, we are going to start recording our faces for this podcast and we will be posting the best moments on YouTube. So that's what content you can expect and that podcast will be about dealing with plateaus and decline which is i think a topic that not many people talk about like people like to talk about super high pk studies that are growing fast etc but the reality is not everyone's growing at all times otherwise everyone that's been doing this for 10 years would be like a billionaire at this point and that's not the case for many people any of them really so that's basically it we will talk about the stuff nobody talks about plateaus and declines and uh, I wanted to remind people as well, because I got a lot of prize for the, the webinar we got on the, on the homepage. So if you go to toyhacker.com on top, there's a call to action. It is a webinar where we sell a course at the end. I'm going to tell you, it sells the Atari site system at the end. But the actual content of the webinar has received a lot of prize lately. So if you haven't checked it out yet, consider checking it out. That will make you join our email list. That will try to sell your product. But the free information in the webinar is excellent, whether you're buying the course or not. And that's about it. So have a good week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.